For many nations across Europe, tourism is an essential part of their economies. After two tough years of lockdowns and travel restrictions, the continent is now enjoying a long-awaited tourist boom. My guest today is a man who's leading the charge to extend his country's tourist season and lure visitors looking to escape the cold over the winter months. Vasilis Kikilias currently serves as Greece's Minister of Tourism and has high hopes for the year ahead. He spoke to me from Athens to offer his prognosis on how we move forward and what he's doing to boost the brands of some of the country's lesser-known islands. I'm Tyler Brule in Zurich, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. Because of the way we dealt with the crisis, and I will explain what I mean, and we rebranded the country as a safe destination, I think that numbers are great in terms of tourist travelers and, of course, huge in terms of revenues. And this is a surplus with which we can help the rest of the Greek economy. So the numbers were great. Many destinations in Greece had record numbers, even above 2019, which was our record year. We were able to put the spotlight also on alternative destinations. You got 128 inhabited islands, one more beautiful than the other, but also the mainland. And uh, of course, you see a lot of people during September and October, and in lengthening the season was a key factor of our strategy early in 2022. And despite the huge problems, war in the heart of Europe, inflation, energy crisis, the Greek-Turkish relationships, etc. We were able to do it and we were very happy for that. I'm speaking to you from not too far from the foothills of the Alps and we're seeing a similar almost re-education process going on with the hospitality industry in Alpine regions where they're looking to extend the season because you had a rediscovery during the pandemic. People who may not have gone to the mountains in the summer suddenly want to go up to the mountains for cooler air and certainly even possibilities to extend the winter season as well. Now, it's interesting, as you said, of course, there was this notion of also getting people and even the industry out of the mindset to say, okay, by the time it's the first week of September, we should be stacking up the lounge chairs and the season is over. Now, as you said, and, and you're making me very jealous, It's already, you said it's 24 degrees. Is the room to even move it a little bit further? Because not everyone necessarily wants to be in the Mediterranean every morning, but you still have an incredible offer, You know, certainly on the islands, but also in and around a well-connected city like Athens as well. You're so right. First of all, prolonging the season does not only mean summer destinations. For the first time ever, the National Organization of Tourism is campaigning for the country around the clock, 12 months. So winter destinations and, of course, city break. So let me start by Athens and the Attica region. Now, in a, in a unique way, this is united. I think that there is no other capital in Europe where you can drive 20 minutes and dive deep in, in the sea. And madness all around the, the Attica region where you have uh, lots of activities up the mountain, but also downtown, shopping, culture, museum, civilization, gastronomy, nightlife. So numerous investments nowadays in Greece, Hayat, Accor, One and Only, Six Senses, Mandarin, Marriott, Brown, W, I think all the big brands are here investing, have all helped us push forward into upscaling our product, which means that from three-star, four-star, four-star, five-star, and six-star hotels, top service, of course, Greek hospitality, in a, in a unique way blended together, 
So yes, definitely Athens and Attica are nowadays 12 month destinations. And now in accordance to winter destinations also, of course, the Alps are unique. There's no, no doubt about that. But I mean, as, uh, the New York Times had a picture last November of the mountains in Crete where they were skiing and another 15 minutes down the road, they were swimming as a unique winter destination. And we have beautiful winter destinations, for example, Epirus. Back 15, 20 years ago, the most poor region in Europe. And now with Ioannina and Metsovo and Zagorohoria and Arisi, a beautiful destination for the winter, sold out for long weekends and the summer also. So it seems like people, travelers and tourists are, are finding and are discovering more destinations, especially alternative destinations in Greece during the winter also. And let's face it, Northern Europeans were traveling off-season, but to the Western Mediterranean, mainly Spain, Mallorca, Marbella, Gran Canaria, or Portugal. And now that we've set our minds to it and we're putting our strategy to it, and hotels are open and restaurants are open and the traditional tavernas and the museums and culture, we're thinking, why not Eastern Mediterranean for this uh, season and from now on? So this is our target market in Northern Europe that concerns also European pensioners and turning around the crisis into an opportunity. We have a short winter, more mild, big opportunity for people to come here for double reasons. Of course, for the unique experience, but also in terms of the crisis. Smaller winter, no necessity for heating, cheaper to be able to live here for a month or two in comparison to other Northern European countries, which are going to face, because of the heavy winter, more energy crisis. Minister, let's just spend a moment uh, in and around the, the Athens area for a moment, then we can venture out to the yeah. islands, because I do want to talk a little bit about this opportunity that you cite, where the mindset throughout the winter, February, if you want to stay within the EU, if you don't want to fly really more than three or four hours, then yes, where are you going to go? You're, in, you're going to end up in Madeira, you're going to end up in the Canaries, you're going to be on the Costa del Sol. But as you said, you also have many other opportunities on the doorstep for Europeans. We'll come back to that in a moment. I want to ask them about connectivity, and obviously... Athens has always been very well connected, sometimes better connected than other periods throughout modern history, but certainly a hub where you have global carriers, European carriers all flying into. How important is, of course, the airport is important to the strategy, that's clear. But when you look a little bit further ahead, how hard are your colleagues over in the transport ministry and, of course, your other colleagues in tourism working to make sure that you have other airlines coming in? Because I would say, I guess, the one challenge is that you don't have a home carrier that goes long haul anymore. Yes. Well, first of all, and that was very reassuring for us, the situation in Greek airports, especially the Eleftherios Venizelos International Airport, but also in the peripheral airports, the Fraport airports, was exceptional this summer in comparison to other European airports that faced challenges. So it was a successful year in terms of pressure. We took the pressure and offered quality service. Plus, I see that there are flights around the clock for Athens and Lefeus Venizelos Airport from numerous destinations. For example, we had a record year this year of nine direct flights from the United States, nine per day, 63 flights per week from Atlanta, Chicago, Boston, Newark, JFK, and DC with Delta, American, United, and Emirates. That's a huge surplus for us because with a ratio of dollar to euro one to one, 
Americans were high spenders, and this was an additional profit to the traveling industry in terms of Greece. But we already saw for 2022 an increase of 50% from Air France and Transavia. So an increase from the Lufthansa fleet, and of course the flights coming from Great Britain, Jet2, EasyJet, and Virgin. And uh, of course, more flights from Israel and more flights from the Scandinavian countries. So we had a 5% increase in the flights coming to Greece in 2022 in comparison with all other Europe that had a decrease. So we're the only European country to have a 5% increase in flights in 2022. And giving incentives off-season through the National Organization of Tourism with co-advertisement, we're motivating airline carriers to keep up this momentum during winter and off-season also. And I'm happy to announce that big airline companies and carriers have already agreed to do that. So it's not just Aegean and Sky Express, the Greek companies. There are other companies, business and leisure and low cost, that are seeking to expand their routes in 2023, despite the energy crisis, despite the, the uncertainties. And uh, this, I think, is a vote of confidence for the capital, for Athens. In a unique way, the brand Athens and the brand Greece is one of the top five brands in the world. And if you unify the Attica region with Greece, which means culture, civilization, of course, the Acropolis Museum and the Acropolis site and all the other museums in uh, Athens and Greece, the unique gastronomy, theaters, bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and the link between the traditional downtown center of Athens and the Athens Riviera, this consists of a unique opportunity of growth for us. And I see it's a pull factor to European travelers and tourists, but not only European, as I explained, US, Canada, Australia. We had an increase from almost everywhere this year. And maybe you're also leaving out a bit of a secret weapon, which, uh, which I want to share. This was an experience flying out of Paros this summer heading back to Zurich. And actually, one of the really good connecting experiences was actually going through Thessaloniki as well, an airport which has obviously been invested in, renovated. But it was such a pleasant experience because Athens Airport, great most of the time. But of course, it's still a big airport nevertheless. And also then just connecting through Thessaloniki, where probably for a lot of people, they don't think about it as an option to get to the islands. Your, your mind is, okay, Athens closer. Therefore, I'll connect through there. But there's also something to be said a little bit about the north. So are you also looking maybe at a bit more of a dual hub strategy as well to take the pressure off of Athens? Well, first of all, I think that uh, strategically, the investment that the Greek administration you know, agreed with uh, Fraport some years ago was a big success. Because the Thessaloniki, Macedonia, International Airport got upgraded. And you're so right, it's, it's a quality airport. But also other regional airports in islands and in the mainland offering better quality of travel to travelers and tourists that live in Greece or from abroad. Now we had a more than 180% increase in the cruising industry, especially in northern Greece in the port of Thessaloniki. Why am I talking about the cruising industry also? Because the connectivity between home port, which was 55%, and the airport is very, very important, which means in plain English that people were traveling to Thessaloniki to get on the cruisers or getting to Thessaloniki and staying one or days or three days or two days in order to fly back. So Northern Greece and Central Macedonia have suddenly been upgraded. Why? Because there's a unique scenery of beauty and nature and countryside from agricultural tourism to religious tourism, to gastronomy, to 
the wines and the lager vineyards that can offer a unique experience. It's very, very close to Central Europe. I mean, Aegean and Austrian airlines are flying from Vienna to Thessaloniki, for example. It's a one hour and 20 minutes flight from Germany also. So people have discovered the islands close to Thessaloniki, Skiathos, Kopelos, Alonisos. But how about also the nightlife of Thessaloniki or the special gastronomy of Thessaloniki and Central Macedonia? So we have seen growth to northern Greece also. And despite the problems that we had, of course, the war in, uh, in Northern Europe and we had no Russian uh, tourists and Ukrainian tourists, we were able to balance that with American travelers and tourists, European travelers, Romanians, Serbians, and of course, Northern Europeans. So it seems like Europeans love branded destinations in Greece, but they're also trying to discover alternative destinations, quality destinations, and live a unique experience. And I think that Thessaloniki and Central Macedonia are offering something like that. And of course, infrastructures, ports, marinas, and airports play a key role in that transition. Maybe let's say you, you touched on cruising. I was going to come to it later, but let's, let's deal with it at the moment. So on one side, of course, great to see a return of cruise ships. But of course, during the silent period, and even, of course, even in the run-up to the pandemic, of course, outcries from maybe not all over the world, but certainly within the Mediterranean basin, from the Baltic as well, just the scale, the size of ships, and on it goes, and what this means to, of course, many ports which like to have the ships, many locals who don't, and then maybe the other element of it is when you talk about the five- and six-star tourists who really don't want to see 5,000 people showing up on a sunny island suddenly. Is there a policy? Are you working through it? Is there a sort of a stated ambition as to how you deal with it? Because on one side, yeah, you could even rewind five or six years ago and say, yes, cruising great, but ships just get bigger and bigger. How do you deal with it? Because I was in Mykonos this summer and it wasn't it wasn't that pleasant, to be perfectly frank, on a Tuesday morning. The village seems completely overrun. First of all, thank you for the question, because it gives me the opportunity to uh, unfold a strategy for 2023 and the decade on. We're supporting a sustainable touristic model of low carbon emission, friendly to the environment, eco islands, actually Greco islands. Prime Minister Mitsotakis did it with Halki and Astipalia. They're reliant on renewable energy only. And of course, this involves the capacities and the infrastructures of branded destinations. So if we talk about the cruising industry, but not only that, about waste disposal, about parking positions, about the capacity of the islands and brand destinations, but starting with the cruising industry, I want to say that there are destinations that need the cruising industry and destinations where there should be a framework of volume, of quantity and quality. For example, we've decided with CLIA in the cruising industry and in the island of Sandorini this year, 2022, had a, a maximum of 8,000 visitors per day and one cruise ship after the other. This is called birth allocation. So there are other measures that can be taken towards that extent. And uh, we're heading into a model, a strategy and communication model, but also an investment in our infrastructures. The strategy and communication model consists of campaigning for an eco-friendly sector, with private and public investments towards that, 
towards renewable energy, low carbon emission, green and blue economy, friendly to the environment. On the other hand, have the means and the power to invest on not just in private investments, also in public investments of infrastructure, especially in these branded destinations, to be able to help in the years to come, the sector, and of course, next generations, to be able to have the happiness to live the experience like we live it nowadays. So until 2022, main thing was security in terms of traveling. And like I said, we rebranded the country as a safe destination of because of the way we dealt in the first wave of the pandemic back in 2020. And this came back to us as a success in the sector. Now, we're aiming in a sustainable touristic model, investing in the infrastructures and promoting the sustainable model in terms of traveling. And we see that more and more travelers and tourists around the world are checking first, is this airline company using or trying to use low carbon emission? will get a ticket. Is this hotel using renewable energy and uh, is supporting the environment? We'll book a room there. Does this city have a, a renewable waste disposal system? Yes, we'll go there. Does this island have clean beaches? Yes, we'll go there. So we're totally supportive to that. It's a part of our strategy, of course. It cannot happen automatically from one day to another. But this is our target and this is our goal. Let's maybe move on from what's happening cruise-wise and, and let's say all of the stated ambitions, which of course are admirable. And I guess one would of course expect that you're doing these things. You stated a little bit earlier that Athens Airport did a good job. You you didn't be, turn into an Amsterdam in terms of having you know big headlines around complete implosion of the airport. And of course, all of this, you can have great technology. It comes down to personnel. It comes down to great service. So I want to just spend a moment on this. You also talked a little bit earlier about, of course, Greek hospitality. How, as a minister, and of course, you have to be in lockstep with your colleagues when it comes to, of course, Ministry of Employment and Education as well. How do you keep the service industry, F&B, hospitality, airlines, how do you keep that front and center in terms of this being an attractive sector to work in? And that's not just making sure that I get my glass of Isirtiko chilled at the table, but also how do you encourage a next generation of people who want to open hotels, who want to be really part of a startup culture not developing apps, a startup culture just to develop great restaurants, new resort experiences. How is the ministry involved in that? Because this is, in a way, another looming crisis in so many parts of the world where there are labor shortages. There are labor shortages also in Greece in terms of uh, the primary sector, the building industry, and of course, the touristic sector, that, like there are in all Europe. And we have to acknowledge that and, and deal with it. I understand that part of the workers in the sector, because we're closed like all over the world because of the pandemic, they had to find other job opportunities in order to be able to survive. And then when we reopened the sector, not everybody came back. Then the way things are dealt with people working from far away with Zoom and with the new experience after the pandemic, we see that some people, especially young people, are starting to reason with that and seek other ways to work. And the third thing is that you're so right. Greek hospitality, philoxenia, it's a Greek word. It's, it can all, almost cannot be translated in another word. It's a, it's a state of mind. It's a deeper need of the Greeks 
to host travelers, tourists, strangers, foreigners from the ancient years until today, to, to shelter them, to give them something to drink, food, a bed to sleep, and then off they go. This is a key factor of the success of the, touristic, the Greek touristic sector, 25% of our GDP. So the transition will not be easy, and it's not easy, and there are not easy solutions for that. But yes, we are aiming into mixing and blending Greek education, public sector, but also private enterprises like private academy, top self-education programs like Le Col de Tourisme de Lausanne, or the way you have a touristic education in Hong Kong, to find and seek best practices in order to be able to put them into the Greek educational uh, system. And of course, it's not easy. We're working with the Ministry of Labor and the Ministry of Education and using funds from the RRF in order to be able to see what the best practices are and how can this be implemented. But for sure, tradition and the way that people have dealt with Greek hospitality together with best practices and the best schools all over the planet can be a finalizing strategy on how we can move forward and find people that are going to be happy and have well-paid jobs in the sector and take pride in that. And of course, when that happens and people that uh, the workers in the sector are happy and they feel good, then this gets passed into the travelers and the tourists and uh, creates a positive atmosphere. Let's not forget traveling and visiting a country or spending time like a tourist is mainly and first of all a state of mind of, of happiness and the will to discover new places and maybe visit with your family and have the joy of a unique experience. So the key is happy workers in the sector, skilled workers in the sector that have been upscaled, rescaled and re-educated maybe. And this is a crossword that we have to, to solve and it involves, of course, other ministries too. But the general idea is that, of course, keep on moving the secrets of Greek philoxenia from generation to generation, but also best practices around the world. I've talked to you about two schools that are exceptional as far as we are concerned and we'd like to work with to see what we can do together. And I'm sure the prime minister wouldn't you know, probably be opposed to also one day, and certainly yourself as well, that people would look to Athens or Thessaloniki that maybe you develop the next version of EHL in Lausanne, that you actually, Greek hospitality actually, be, it is a byword, buzzword in many ways, yeah, that why don't you have your own institution as well, rather than just even co-opting what they're doing in Switzerland or elsewhere in the world? Well, first of all, the prime minister is a huge supporter of reforms and was never afraid to push forward. And he's the politician here in Greece that has opened the way for reforms, but also dealt with the crisis that we're dealing like a plan in the last three years in the best possible way. I guess that what should be done is we should give people the options. Yes, of course, tradition and the old way of doing things and the Greek philosophy, but together with that, the opportunity for Greek students to stay here and get the best possible education here have excellent universities here, and I think that it's doable. But also, we're not afraid to seek expertise elsewhere, and uh, we're not seeking to rediscover America. Eh? We're seeking best practice and best possible ideas and methods in order to be able to upscale our product. I do have to say, and I was going to talk about next market, so, but you must be very happy that America rediscovered Greece this summer because <laughs> it was quite remarkable. And this, it's certainly, it's not just a Greek story. It's you know, when everyone was so worried, as you know, that, okay, where are the Chinese tourists? 
and what is that going to mean for tourism? But that was all infilled by the US, also a lot of Australians out in the world as well. Just before we go, when you look uh, across the horizon, 2023 bookings already, 2024, what markets are you focusing on? Because in some ways, you also one, there were some moments where Greece was open, it wasn't open. Okay, we can all have a debate about how well or not well things were handled in certain periods, but let's put all of that behind us. But you could see there was a moment that, okay, lockdown in Israel, all of the flights from Tel Aviv to Athens were packed. And then you saw something happen in, in the Gulf, and then everyone was, was inbound. And obviously, there was a period where a lot of people familiarized themselves with Greece. Maybe they hadn't been going for a few years. They suddenly fell in love with the place. That's fantastic. But when you look ahead now, Minister, what are the other focus markets that, that you want to put an emphasis on? Well, 2022 was a great success. This is undeniable. And if you go back to, fe to February or March, in the heart of Europe, suddenly a war, inflation, energy crisis, and all that, people were thinking of the worst. But once again, we worked hard, and the outcome was top shelf. Now, of course, we're, we got our eye into new markets. I have to say that uh, India is one of them. You see a huge growth and potential, especially for top shelf travelers from India. We also see South Korea. We also see markets in the East and also in the Middle East. And of course, it's always a target of ours to explore Latin America too. So, you know, one can never cease. Of course, we have destinations where we have proved that year in, year out, we have strong ties, strong commercial and touristic ties, and people keep on coming. And we're seeking to strengthen these destinations, but... New offices, for example, of a national organization of tourism uh, abroad in the new destinations or destinations that are going to be, you know, it is going to be tempting to open markets is a, a key strategy of ours. And I just named four or five. And of course, once more, nothing is happening in a magical way or nothing is easy because if it was easy, everybody would have done it. It is happening with hard work, with strategy and with of course, optimism, that, but optimism that comes through hard work and, and a team effort from the public sector and the private sector. And I have to give a big thanks to all the people involved in the sector, hotelers, pioneers, tour operators, the guys working in the Greek tavernas and restaurants, the guys working in cultural museums and archaeological sites, the people of transport. You yourself, you mentioned so, so many parts of the Greek public administration or private sector that are involved for a season to be successful. So yes, big temptation for us and a goal for us would be opening new destinations, but that can happen step by step and with big effort and a big smile, of course. My thanks today to Greek Minister for Tourism, Vasilis Kikilius. This episode of The Chiefs was produced by Emma Cyril, edited by Adam Heaton, and recorded by Desiree Bandley. I'm Tyler Berlay. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>